we go ahead and pray and we'll get into God's word. Loving Father, we thank you so much for this privilege and opportunity uh, to worship together again and to be indoors. And Father, what a blessing. Father, it's so easy to take for granted what we do have. Sometimes not until we lose something that we realize what we had. But Father, help us to, to just enjoy this time and may Jesus be glorified as we study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, when I was asked to share a message, um, usually whenever I, I get asked, they say, Genesis, we need a title. And for me, I, it's very hard to get a title because, you know, um, I, I like to think of different things. And sometimes, you know, at the last minute, I'm like, you know, I think I want, I'd rather make this my punchline. And like, oh, but I can't because it's a title. But, um, so when they ask me for a title, I'm like, you know, I need the most generic, one size fits all kind of a title. And so I was like, you know what? to be like Jesus, because no matter what is preached this morning, at the end of the day, you need to be like Jesus, amen? amen? I mean, it could be prophecy, it could be the Old Testament, the gospel, whatever it is, and if the punchline is not to be like Jesus, then we've missed the point. As it says in Corinthians, you know, we could have all knowledge of all mysteries, but if we have not love, which is God, um, then we kind of miss the whole point. And so the idea is to be like Jesus, Amen. And so with that being said, uh, we'll get into today's message. So there is a term, or rather two words, that people I did not like in 2020 when a lot of things were happening. Does anyone want to guess what those two words are? Okay, <laughs> we're close. It's kind of close to it. But um, it's this idea of the new normal. Have you guys heard of those two words before? New normal. And so... 2020, a lot of chaotic things have happened, a lot of crazy things, and we had this idea that, you know, all these things, it, it might be permanent, it might last, you know, forever, and therefore we need to get adjusted to this quote-unquote new normal, uh, this new normal of wearing masks, this new normal of being six feet apart, this new normal of not being able to travel or see our loved ones, uh, this new normal of, you know, just a lot of adjustments, not being able to sit in a restaurant or go to church, just these things, and, you know, for a lot of us, or maybe all of us, this was not fun for us. It was not a good adjustment, but it's this idea of a new normal. But the thing is this, those who recognize a new normal are people who have had it different at one point. For people who are born into something that's already been changed, to them, that is normal. Does that make sense? So, with that being said, as much as this new normal um, was a bit frustrating and how we so desire to go back to what we call normal, God has his own kind of thing that he wants to get back to, if I could put it that way. Ever since the fall of mankind, the fall of Adam and Eve, the whole earth had to go through this process of a new normal. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, one of my favorite books, in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? And in this Garden of Eden that God created, we had a perfect God with perfect people, perfect environment, just everything was perfect, a world without sin and a world without sickness. Amen? That is the environment in which God created. Powerful. But because of sin, that is not the kind of world that we live in today. And because of sin, there was a new normal. I want to show you guys this quote here, um, found in uh, Patriarchs and Prophets. I only put an excerpt of the quote. I have the full quote here. 
But I'm going to read it to you guys. And it says here, as a witness, this is Adam and Eve, as a witness in drooping flower and falling leaf, the first signs of decay, Adam and his companion mourned more deeply than men now mourn for what? Over their dead. Now, you don't have this. I'm going to finish it off here. It says, The death of the frail, delicate flowers was indeed a cause of sorrow, but when the goodly trees cast off their leaves, the scene brought vividly to mind the stem, the stern fact that death is a portion of every living thing. Now, I went to school at Southern. Anyone go to Southern? Okay, let me ask you a question for those who have gone to Southern. What is arguably the most beautiful season? <laughs> The fall season, right? The fall season. And um, some might say, well, it's spring. Some might say it's summer, but no one ever says winter. <laughs> but uh, fall, you know, and I'm from here. So when I was over there at Southern during the fall time, it was so pretty. Like all the leaves turned red and orange and brown. And I felt more at home at that point there just because of the, the leaves than here for some reason. But it just felt very homey. It felt very much like Thanksgiving for some reason. But um, that was arguably the most beautiful season when all the leaves are falling. But it says here, as we're reading, we're reading in Patriots and Prophets, that Adam and Eve, what, did, what was their reaction? Imagine if they went to Southern. Uh, that would be terrible, right? <laughs> Absolutely terrible. But they mourned when they saw the leaves, not even the, le not even the leaves, just the first leaf falling. Because what was this an indication of? of death. And so fall was actually not God's intention. The fall of man or the falling of leaves was never the intention of God. And so the fact that there were leaves falling was an indication of death. This made them mourn even worse than somebody dying and going to a funeral. But what happened over the years? Do we cry? Do, do we cry when it's fall? Do, when it's southern, do you cry? Everyone's taking Instagram pictures like, oh, look at the, look at the uh, beautiful leaves are falling. And so what happened? Because of sin, there is a new normal, and we've gotten adjusted to it. And so now the concept of leaves falling every year is normal. And over the years, the concept of people getting sick and dying became normal. And so we kind of just got used to the idea that, you know, this is just the way life is. It's the circle of life. You know, people are born, they... They live, they get sick, and they eventually they die. This is what we're used to. And it's, it's just what we are accustomed to. But for God, who existed before this new normal, does not like this new normal. Amen? And God's intention is to get us back to what is actually normal. And so it's really interesting because the things that we might seem that we think are abnormal, you know, like having a relationship with God or reading the Bible, the things that the world might consider as abnormal, this is actually what is normal. And this is what God intends to bring us back to. So with your Bibles, and I have a lot of Bible verses, so I'd like for you guys to turn to your Bibles with me. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Read from some wisdom here. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And some commentators say that the author of Ecclesiastes was probably a little bit depressed when he wrote this book. Because this was a man who had everything, right? He had everything, and yet he was a little depressed. So I'll give you guys a moment to get there. Are we all there, amen? 
Ecclesiastes 1, let's just start in verse 1. It says here, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is what, everyone? All is vanity. Verse 3, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another comes. But the earth abides forever. Now, I don't know if, if, if Solomon was melancholy, because I tend to be melancholy, and I like to go on hikes, whether it's with friends or by myself, to just you know, think about life, think about God. And um, I have these melancholy thoughts that come to my mind, and I think to myself, as I'm on the hills of Loma Linda or at Big Bear or wherever, and I think to myself, I wonder how many people have hiked these hills before me and have thought the same thoughts that I'm thinking right now. I wonder how many, hill, how many people these hills and these trees and these mountains have seen and will continue to see after I'm gone if the Lord should tarry. So Solomon here, who is the richest man at this point, who has everything that we would want, he says, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. Verse 4, one generation passes away, and what happens? Another one just simply replaces it. You come and you go. But the earth, it's there forever. The, the, the hills, Loma the hills, they're still there. The, the trees are still there. But humans, we come and we go. Verse 5, the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south to, and turns around to the north. The wind about, whirls about continually. So he goes on to say, like, you know, life goes on. Today you might be the most powerful, richest person, just as Solomon was, but eventually he'll pass away. And what about his riches now? What about all of his materials now? It's all pretty much vanity. And what he's saying is this, coming from a man who had everything, is that you might have everything that the world wants, but it's only temporary. And so the concept of death is that when you have gone to a number of funerals, you begin to realize that one day, that will be you and me. We work so hard for our materials, we work so hard for our degrees, we work so hard for life, but one day we will pass away. It's a very somber, melancholy thought, is it not? Now, I take issue with that. I don't know if you guys take issue with that, but I take issue with that. And, um, you know, I work, as, as I mentioned in my bio, I work as a nurse at, here at Loma Linda. And for a whole year, we were the designated primary COVID unit. And so I got to work with a lot of family members, uh, or rather uh, patients. And the saddest thing about the unit is that, um, before they kind of ease the, the restrictions, is that even when they're dying, they couldn't have family visit them. And so you begin to realize that the most important things in life is not materials. It's not possessions. But what it all comes down to in your last moments of life is being around the people that you love and your health. And as we as humans, as we, we could face, we could experience this and how much we, we would want something to change, God wants us to have something even better. Amen? God is looking at to this death issue, this sin issue, and he wants something that's better for you and me. He wants not just a temporary solution, but a permanent one. Amen? Amen. So we have our Bible, so we're going to take a look at another verse here. Let's go, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. So we're going to, we're going to keep up with these thoughts here, but let's go to the book of Genesis. So the question is, well, what happened? And we, we kind of all know what kind of happened, but what is it? that took place here. Now, the, ne the, the name of today's message is entitled, what, everyone? 
to be like Jesus. We are striving to be like Jesus. And so let's go here. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And we can all agree that Jesus is God. Amen? All right. So to be like Jesus, to be like God in character, right? Genesis 1, verse 27. And what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? So God created man in whose image? In his own image. In the image of man, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we, in the beginning, were created in the image of God. We were created to be like Jesus. But something happened. Go to Genesis 3, verse 5. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. I have quite a few verses. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Are we all there? So when Adam and Eve fell uh, in the beginning here, it started here. The serpent, which was being used by, as a medium by Satan, um, approached Eve and said this. When he was tempting her to eat the forbidden fruit, he said, For God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like what, everyone? You will be like God, knowing what? So, the desires that you and I have, I would say that if it comes from God, they are pure, amen? But the way the devil does it, he doesn't invent anything new. He takes what God had and he taints it. And so there is a desire to be like God. How many of us want to be like Jesus, amen? Praise God. But then there's also a desire to be like God in a sense that we don't covet his character, but we covet his, his power instead. And so here we have the fall of mankind. Satan tempts Eve and says, hey, if you eat this forbidden fruit, you'll be like, like God. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Just a couple of chapters before that, what does the Bible say? That they were already created how? In the image of God. And so Adam and Eve were already like God in character. They already had the image of God, but Satan or Lucifer was jealous and so he says, hey, no, no, no. If you really want to be like God, if you want his power, then why don't you try this? Very interesting. What Satan was trying to do was he was trying to instill his character upon the human race. We're reading here in Desire of Ages, and I have the full quote here, so you guys have partial quotes. And it says up there in Desire of Ages, Lucifer desired what, everyone? God's power, but not his what? Not his character. I have the full quote here, so I'll read it to you. It says, Lucifer has said, I will be like the Most High. And desire for self-exaltation had brought strife into the heavenly courts and had banished a multitude of the hosts of God. Had Lucifer really desired to be like the Most High, he would never have deserted his appointed place in heaven, for the Spirit of the Most High is manifested in unselfish ministry. Lucifer desired God's power, but not his character. And so, when we say, I want to be like God, the question is, do I want to be like God in character, or do I want to be like God in His power? And unfortunately, within our sinful nature, what we actually desire is we actually want God's power. You know, if I had God's power, I could overcome all my enemies. If I had God's power, I could show the world that I'm really great. If I had God's power, I could do all these great things, and a lot of times, it could be for selfish motivation. 
Satan desired the power of God, but not to be like God in character. Whereas Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus humbled himself to become a human being, but he loved the character of God. He showed the character of God. And the question is, what are we desiring this morning? Are we seeking the power of God, or do we want to be like God in character? And so the temptation here in the garden was that, you know, if you want to have God's power, you can tap into eating this forbidden fruit and you'll have it. And so what we have here is the 10th commandment. What is the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet. Now, I don't know if I have it on the next slide here. Yes, I do here. It says selfishness is a what, everyone? Selfish. Now, you might have heard the Bible text where it says that money or the love of money is the root of all evil, right? But um, if you really think about it, it, what it comes down to is this idea of covetousness, selfishness. And we're told that selfishness is actually the root of all evil. Notice here, I'm going to show you guys a Bible text here, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Let's go to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and it's Jesus speaking. And he said to them, take heed and beware of what, everyone? Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Very, very interesting. And so if you read the context of this uh, story here, um, you had like this, this family matters, you know, fighting over property. And they're like, you know what? Let's go to Jesus. Let's, let's, let's take it to the Lord and ask him to resolve this for us. And Jesus' response, instead of giving them a resolution, what does Jesus say? He says to be aware of covetousness. What is Jesus saying? That there's more to life than just the temporary blessings. So often we seek the hand of God but not so much the face of God. So often we seek a miracle from the Lord to satisfy our temporary needs, but we're not seeking the bigger picture. Now, I am convinced that God is invested in our happiness. Amen? You know, as much as we want to be happy, I think we all want to be happy. Amen? We all want to be happy. And sometimes there's a temptation to think that God is preventing us from receiving happiness but in actuality, God's biggest goal is for you and I to be happy eternally. Jesus says in the book of John, I think it's chapter, I forget what chapter it is, but he says, um, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I think that might be John 10, 10, I'm not sure. He says, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. God did not create you to just simply exist, amen? But to live life and to live it abundantly. You think about... Um, the, the fruits in the Garden of Eden. God only said not to eat from that one particular tree, but from all the other trees, they had access to it. And so God gave us taste buds, amen? If God wanted us to have a boring life to simply exist, he would have not have created us with taste buds, but he did. He created all the beautiful flowers, the birds, the fish, for us to appreciate the beauty of creation. Um, just last weekend, I came back from Big Sur, and you know, I, I realized... When I was a student at Tennessee, I visited everywhere, <laughs> uh, more places than the locals. And here, I have friends who are out of state. They have seen more things than I have uh, <laughs> around here. 
And so I have a bucket list. Like, oh, man, I need to go to Zion. I need to go Grand I have not been to Grand Canyon. I need to go to all these places. I need to go to the Horseshoe Bend and the Antelope Valley. I need to go to all these places. And finally, I did Big Sur. But the thing is this. When you look at the beauty of nature, the beaches, um, the mountains, the flowers, these were all created for our pleasure because God is artistic and he doesn't want us to simply exist, but he wants us to enjoy life and to enjoy what he has made for us. God is thinking the big picture. And so here's the question then. Then the question is this, if God wants me to be happy, then why doesn't God always answer my prayers? Because I'm praying for things that will make me happy. Now, I mean, you don't pray for things that will make you sad. <laughs> you pray for those things that will make me happy. And sometimes he answers, and sometimes he doesn't. So why doesn't God answer our prayers all the time? Why is it sometimes he does, and what about the times that he does not answer? You know, when I worked, um, praise God, we're no longer a COVID unit. Um, things got a little bit better. But um, 2020 has been really rough for a lot of families, including my own. Um, a lot of us have lost loved ones. And it makes you realize that during that time when you would pray and fast for your loved one to be healed, and it doesn't happen. God, like, I don't care about anything else. I will give you my life if you just simply heal my family member and he doesn't do it. What about then? What about then? Why doesn't God always answer? And we, the temptation is to think that, you know what? God, he doesn't care about my situation. God is, he, he's not really listening to me. But remember, friends, you know, as God does not think the way that man thinks. God thinks bigger. Now, I think about the miracles of Jesus. And we're told that Jesus did more acts of healing than he did preaching. So he did a lot of miracles. But some of the miracles that Jesus did were actually kind of temporary. For example, uh, we read about the story about Jesus multiplying the fish and the bread. All right, you guys remember that miracle? Temporary. Because... Even though he fed all those people, what happened? Four or five hours later, they'll get hungry again. I mean, great. Thank you, Lord, for the miracle. He provided a physical miracle for their physical comfort for that present time. But what happened? They were in need again. And so we could ask God for these temporary miracles to make us comfortable physically, temporarily, God, I need a miracle financially so that I could be happy financially, temporarily. We might even pray for healing so that we could be happy. But listen to this. God may not always answer our immediate prayers, but he has something bigger in mind. I want to show you guys something. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I think I want to start, let's just start in verse 1. John chapter 6, starting verse 1. And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is a sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. So Jesus was quite popular, because he saw the miracles that he did. He was healing the sick. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, verse 5, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So we know this story, right? There's a lot of people, and Jesus is not just preaching to them, but he feeds them, amen? So it's kind of like church today. We have a message, and there's like a potluck, right? And so it's really, really nice of Jesus. But this he said to him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus was kind of testing his disciple here. But let's get, let's get forward to verse 10. Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So there was 5,000 men, not including women and children. So there was thousands of people, right? Verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, how much? It wasn't just a little amount, amen? But Jesus fed them, how much? As much as they wanted. So they got full. As much as they wanted. Verse 12. So when they were filled, they were what, everyone? They were filled. So I want you guys to notice this. Jesus, we're thinking about miracles, right? Jesus performs a physical miracle for their what kind of needs? For their physical needs and for their happiness. And he doesn't just provide just a little bit, but Jesus is generous. He goes above and beyond. He, he, he makes sure that they are full and they are filled. And they're happy. But what's going to happen in five hours? You're going to be hungry again. Now, I, I'm trying to make a point here. This is the point I'm trying to make. A lot of times we pray for God's blessings so that we will be comfortable because we're not comfortable in life right now. God, please heal my loved one uh, who's in the hospital right now and this will make them physically happy and healthy. But eventually, you know, even if God does heal, we will still pass away. So it's temporary if you think about it. But notice this here. We're still in John. Let's, go, let's skip to verse 24. So these people, they experienced the miracle of God. They were blessed by his physical blessing. Actually, let's go to verse 22. So let's skip to verse 22. We're still in John 6. Go to verse 22. And on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no, one, no other boat there except that uh, one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Verse 23, However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So this is after eating the bread. Verse 24, And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum and were seeking Jesus. Question, why were they looking for Jesus? Huh? I'm hearing like a lot of different things. Huh? So did someone say he got, they got hungry again? <laughs> so they're, they're looking for Jesus, right? What miracle did Jesus just perform? He just fed a lot of people. They saw the miracle. And so now they're looking for Jesus because he could feed people. He could probably even feed an army. Verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? I, I, don't, I always think this is kind of, I, I just love when I read this. It's, it's kind of cute. It's like, hey, when did you get here? Jesus has already been there. And so they're, they're looking for Jesus. Jesus, when did you get here? 
I, know, I, just, love, I just love that part. But, uh, <laughs> and it says here, now notice how Jesus responds. Rabbi, when did, you get, when did you come here? Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, okay, why are they seeking Jesus? He says, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because of what? You ate of the loaves and were what? In other words, you were blessed by my miracle, a physical blessing that was only temporary. And because you enjoyed that, now you're looking for me because maybe you want more bread or something, right? And so we keep seeking Jesus because we're seeking his hand. Oh, he, he blessed me with fish and bread. What else could he give me? What else could he give me? And we are satisfied with the small temporary blessings. But notice what Jesus says here. He says in verse 27, he says, Do not labor for what, everyone? For the food which what? Perishes, but for the food which what? Endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So what is the bigger picture? Did Jesus come to the world and die on the cross so he could feed us bread and fish? Is that the whole reason why he came to the world? I mean, that's part of what he did. He did do that. But he has a bigger mission. And so what is Jesus saying? Don't be striving just for the temporary things from God. They were seeking Jesus, by the way. But he's saying that when you're searching for God, don't just search for God just so you could get a temporary blessing. But look beyond that. What is the bigger blessing? You see, friends, God does not want to just sustain you so that you will live today and then die tomorrow. God wants to give you a kind of bread that will sustain you for all eternity. Because I don't know about you, but God is tired of death, sickness, and all this pain. And God doesn't want to just give us a band-aid to just simply fix the problem now, and then eventually we die tomorrow. He wants to give us a permanent solution. And that permanent solution is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, um, you know, working in the medical field, they say that one of the perks of being in the medical field is that it's always in demand. But the reason why it's always in demand is because there's always people who are sick. But I look forward to the day when doctors and nurses will no longer be in demand. Amen? Amen. There will be a day that we will be unemployed in heaven because there's no more sick people. Because God is tired of this whole sickness and pain. God is not just trying to provide a temporary blessing. I mean, he did provide the fish and bread, and it satisfied them for a few hours, but ultimately what he's trying to do is provide a bigger blessing so that we will all go home one day when Jesus comes. Amen? And so we read about all these miracles in the Bible, how he raised the dead, and how he healed the sick, and how he fed the poor, and all these great things. But perhaps the greatest miracle that God wants to perform is a changed heart. Amen? Amen. To take us back to what is actually normal. To be like Jesus. God's will is that we become more like him. So what does it mean to become more like him? I don't know this quote. Nope. No quote there. So what does it mean to become more like God? To become more like Jesus? Well, I'm going to show you guys a familiar Bible text. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. You probably know it by heart. But 1 John 4, verse 8. What does 4 John 4, verse 8 say?
God is God is love. God is love. Now, that's the definition of God. Now, the Bible could have said that God is muscle and power because God is powerful, amen? But it doesn't say that. It says that God is love. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the news and social media, but I feel like the world and America more than ever are divided. And it shouldn't surprise us because the Bible does tell us in Matthew, Matthew 24, verse 12, speaking about the last days, it says, and because iniquity shall abound, what will happen? The love of many will what? It will wax cold. Now this might be true about the world, but this should not be true about God's people as Christians. While the world is divided and the world is hating each other and the world is fighting, it should not be the case for God's children. Amen? Because John 13, 35, let's go there real quick. John 13, verse 35. And before I read it, um, a couple of weeks I got to teach Sabbath school here. And we were going over the covenants. I think you guys still, are you guys still going over the covenant? Okay. And so when I was teaching Sabbath school a couple of weeks here, um, we talked about how Israel is a peculiar people and they had a purpose. And what was their purpose? Their purpose was not to, you know, just keep the gospel to themselves, but to be a light to the world. And by extension, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we have the same purpose, not to just keep the light to ourselves, but to let our light shine. And so, how do we do that? John verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 35, how will the world know that we are different from everybody else? While the whole world is angry and hating one another, it should not be the case for Christians. What does it say here in John 13, verse 35? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. My brothers and sisters, the time is ticking on the time clock here, but my brothers and sisters, I like to keep it simple and usually short, but here's a point I'm trying to make. God's will is for us to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus in character. When I think about Jesus, Jesus is a person who just loved people, amen? And he loves people so much that not only did he minister to their physical needs, but he also ministered to their spiritual needs. God sees a bigger picture. You know, I look forward to the day that Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, he'll make all things new. And I look forward to seeing our loved ones who have passed away before us. Sometimes we question God, like, God, why did you let my loved one pass away? Why did you allow my loved one to get sick? Why didn't you heal them? Why did you not provide the miracle, the blessing? Because God could have easily done it, could he not? But God is thinking about something bigger, and that is eternal life. For God, raising the dead is not a problem. I heard someone put it this way. When Jesus had to resurrect Lazarus, he had to say Lazarus' name by name, because if he didn't, everybody would probably have been resurrected if he would have said, come forth. So raising the dead is not a problem for Jesus. Amen? We can see that. Healing the sick is not a problem for Jesus. We know that. Feeding 
people who are hungry is not difficult for Jesus. But what God wants to do is change our hearts. That's the biggest miracle. So why is God delaying? Because he's giving us as much time as possible to share the gospel and to save as many souls as possible because everything else is easy for God. Raising the dead, easy. Healing the sick, no problem. For God, no problem. But what he's trying to do right now is to save the world. And right now, praise the Lord that we are worshiping indoors again. That means that there is still time, friends. When we leave this place, we still have freedom to share the gospel with others. We still have freedom to tell other people about hope in Christ. We have the freedom to invite people to church, amen? And to allow them to hear messages that will bring them hope as well. While the world hates each other and the world is going crazy, the world will know that you are God's disciples when you have love for one another. Because when we have love for one another, it is truly then that we are being like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the simple message, Father, to be like Jesus. And Father, we have seen that in this world that we live in today, there is a new normal. Uh, and a lot of us, we don't like the new normal. But Father, the new normal happened 6,000 years ago when Adam and Eve fell. And you don't like that new normal. And you're trying to get us back to the way things should be. No more sin, death, or dying, or sickness, nothing like that. I pray, Father God, with the time that we still have, this time of grace, that you would help us, Father, to, to win as many souls as possible. Invite them to church. We thank you, Father, that church is open again. Help us, Father God, to take advantage of the time we have now, this time of grace and mercy, to reach out. Help us, Father, so that when the world sees us, that they could tell that there's something different. These people love one another. They're just like Jesus. We love you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.